1: And welcome to a new season of Terror Radio Podcast. If you are new, then welcome. This is a podcast dedicated in bringing you the best of horror and thriller, old time radio broadcasts, as well as original stories. This is your host, Keith, a.k.a. the Radio Show Nerd. want to thank all of you for your support especially my ever so devoted followers and as I stated last week I have so many surprises for you this season so without further ado this is Terra Radio the two radio programs I'm featuring tonight are as I like to say obscure but yet entertaining radio shows which I think you will enjoy The first being NBC Short Story and the second, Mystery Theater. NBC Short Story was a half-hour dramatization of American short stories by well-known authors such as Edgar Allan Poe, F. Scott Fitzgerald, Ray Bradbury, Shirley Jackson, the list goes on. Now, this was broken up into three series. The first premiering on February 21st, 1951 and ending on July 13th, 1951 and it was directed by Andrew C. Love. The second series premiered on November 23rd, in 1951 and ended on March 14th, in 1952. Wade Arnold was the executive producer. Now the third and final series premiered on April 11th and ended on May 30th, 1952. The Dramatization Tonight is an adaptation of the short story entitled The Lottery by author Shirley Jackson, who is well known for her story, The Haunting of Hill House. She is also the subject of the movie Shirley that came out in 2020, starring Elizabeth Moss. If you get a chance, check it out. I think it is on Hulu, if I'm not mistaken. Now, the lottery was first published on March 14th, 1951, and excuse me, I take that back. It was first published in June 26, 1948, in the issue of The New Yorker, and this caused so much controversy. I guess you could say, in today's terminology, she would be canceled. I'm talking serious backlash subscriptions were canceled, she received so much hate mail, several death threats, and the Union of South Africa even banned the story. I first heard this adaptation about four years ago, and it blew me away. This was first broadcasted on March 14th in 1951, and it was directed by Andrew C. Love. This is very much of a slow burner. But believe me, when you, I'm not even going to give it away. I'm, can you tell how excited I am for you to hear this one? So, you know the drill sit back, turn down the lights, and listen to The Lottery.
2: NBC presents Short Story. Tonight, Shirley Jackson. She's novelist and short story writer, master of the sunny mood that turns to terror in a single sentence. But her statements are not dark for the sake of darkness, rather for the bitter truth that's in them. Shirley Jackson. Tonight, one of the most dramatic and horrifying of the Shirley Jackson stories, The Lottery the lottery, which will be heard immediately following this announcement by the United States Marine Corps. Most of us know the United States Marine Corps is a highly successful fighting organization, and we know that the Corps trains its members to conduct themselves with efficiency, speed, and skill whenever the security of our country is threatened. Much of the success of Marine Corps operations may be directly attributed to the leadership ability of the individual Marine. The qualities of leadership which make a successful Marine are also those which make a successful businessman or statesman. Today, thousands of Marine veterans hold responsible positions in practically every field of endeavor. These men learn to lead, to make swift, intelligent decisions as part of their Marine Corps training. Today, leadership ability is more important than ever. There's an increasing need for capable, efficient leaders in business, government, and community affairs. To become a leader, a man must learn self-discipline. Moreover, he must develop initiative and a sense of responsibility. These are qualities that Marine Corps training develops. And that's why no matter what a man's profession, no matter what his chosen career, Marine Corps training will help him get ahead. Here now, The Lottery by Shirley Jackson.
3: Summers,
4: you get up out of that bed. Oh, it ain't seven yet. Of course it ain't. Uh... Now, you get up, you hear? It's lottery day. Now, Dickie, you eat your cereal. I don't want no more, Ma. You eat up your cereal, because you ain't going to have nothing but sandwiches till supper time. Sandwiches? You heard me. I'm not going to cook no three hot meals on lottery day.
5: All right, baby, that's enough for the chickens.
3: Shoo, shoo. Thanks, boss, shoo. Come on now,
5: son. We got a 4K down for the cows. We won't be back all day.
3: Tomorrow coming, too? Just like Sunday for church?
5: Yeah,
6: that's right.
5: All folks in the town line will be in today for the lottery.
6: I can't find my collar stud. Who took my collar stud? Nah, no,
4: just don't fret, grandsire. It's around here somewhere. Now, if I
6: can't find my collar stud, I ain't going. 77 lotteries I've been to, never missed a one. Flora, you find my collar stud, you hear?
7: The morning of June 27th was clear and sunny with the fresh warmth of a full summer day. The flowers were blossoming, and the grass on the town green in front of the bandstand was a nice, warm summer green. The folks in the village and the farmers inside the township line began to gather in the square between the post office and the bank by about ten o'clock. School was out for the summer, and the kids came in early to chase around the board sidewalks the way kids will.
3: Bobby Martin and and
7: Harry Jones were sitting in front of the post office, swapping stones. Bobby had his pockets full already, nice, smooth, round ones. The girls stood aside, talking among themselves and looking over their shoulders at the boys. And the very small children rolled in the dust or clung to the hands of their older brothers and sisters.
8: Morning, John. Morning, Mr. Summers. Yeah, nice day for the lottery, ain't it? Yes. Had rain yesterday up to the North Village. They got to start the lottery a day ahead to get done. Two hundred families. That's right. Yeah. Got to hustle to get the lottery over with up there. Won't take us more than maybe a couple hours.
7: It seems longer.
8: (laughs) Yeah, that's the way it is with the lottery. I was talking it over with Mrs. Summers. It's a suspense makes time go slow.
7: Not slow enough.
8: Uh, You draw this year, don't you? I guess so. Yeah, that's the rule, all right. Stranger in town draws his second year.
4: Morning, Mr. Summers. John. Morning,
8: Morning. Mr. Delacroix. In early, I see.
4: Well, I don't get up to the village often. George don't like to leave the stock. You gonna have the store open after? Um, most likely. It didn't used to be done. Well, you got to be modern, I always say. Excuse me, won't you? Martins has just got in. It's a nice day for us, though. You can say that for fair. <laughs> you you go faster, Pa. We'll mess everything. Oh,
5: don't worry, Dave. We'll get there in plenty of time.
4: I want to go into Summer's store after to get some patterns. Elsie Dunbar told me he's got some new ones in for short-waisted figures. Let's
5: not talk about it, Tessie.
4: What do you mean? I've got that flowered stuff left over from last year. And if I can get a good pattern... I don't want
5: to talk about after.
4: Oh. Come on, Pa.
5: Can't we go no little
3: faster? All right. Get up there. Get up, get up there.
5: I was talking to John Gunderson.
3: The schoolteacher?
5: Mm-hmm. He's got a draw this year.
3: It's only
4: right. Second year in town.
5: I told him I was thinking of packing and moving out.
4: Bill Hutchinson, you crazy?
5: I told him I was going to pack the wagon and tie the stock on the end of it and just move out.
4: You mean just just leave the farm?
5: That's right. I was going to do it before lottery day this oh, well, that's year. That's
4: crazy, Bill. Where would you settle? Well, your folks have farmed that ground since heaven knows when. I
5: know. I was going to just move out. It's too late now.
4: Oh, Bill, you talk the same way every year. No sense to it.
5: No, there's no sense to it. A
4: woman sees things like this clearer. You just don't think about it, that's all. They come in for the lottery, then go to Summers and buy something nice. Talk to folks. Why don't you look at it that way, Bill?
5: Uh, I suppose you're right. School teacher agreed with me, though.
8: Go on, get over there.
3: Well, oh, that's the late, Hurry up. We'll miss all the fun.
7: Soon the men began to gather, standing around smoking, looking at the kids talking about planting rain, tractors, taxes, you know. Dickie Delacroix and a couple of kids had made a great big pile of stones in one corner of the square, and they were playing King of the Hill on it. The men stood together away from the pile of stones, watching. Their jokes were quiet, and they smiled rather than laughed.
8: Nice-looking folks, aren't they, John? Yeah, they're nice. Mm-hmm. Hey, don't see them all together except on lottery day. Of course, there's Sunday in church, but some go to the Congregationalist and some to the Baptist, and folks like the Dunbars don't go nowhere. Morning, mm-hmm. Mr. Summers. Morning, Tessie. I've got those patterns in.
4: I'll be over right after.
8: Uh, John. Morning, Bill. Uh, I want to talk to you. Well, hello, Summers. Morning. Don't worry about me. I've got to see about the box and all for the drawing. Oh, morning, Tommy. Yeah,
5: well... Talking. It's the day. Yeah. You gonna draw? I've got to. That's the rules. You said you wouldn't. You sat there in the post office and said you wouldn't.
7: I know, but I'd have to leave town. It isn't easy to get another school this late.
5: Well, anyways, you only draw for yourself. Tessie keeps talking about after. Starts me to sweating. She keeps talking about buying a pattern up to the summer store after. Short waisted, she said.
7: I suppose you get used to it. I suppose if you've always had it, you don't think about it.
5: I don't. I lived in the village all my life. I don't get used to it. Oh,
3: can I hmm? stay with Dickie Delacroix? Can I stay with him?
5: No, you got to stay with the family, Davey.
3: Oh, the other kid's got all the stones. Can I stay with uh, them? Davey,
5: I said, Davey, come here. David. Look at that. He's having fun. All the kids are having fun. Why? That's what I want to know. Why?
7: You're a farmer. You know the answer. You told me you couldn't find anything,
5: and the book says it has to be. It stands to reason you find it in the books, don't it? This isn't my part of the country, Hutchinson.
7: I don't make the rules.
5: It don't stand to reason you could try to find out the truth. That's all I say. You
7: can't argue with the folks about the lottery. I've tried. No, you can't
5: argue with folks. Well, anyways, it's a nice day for it.
6: It ain't right. I've been telling them year after year it ain't right. Now,
3: nah, grandsire, take it easy. Now you there. listen
6: to me, Floyd Summers. I'm the oldest man in the village. Seventy-seven years I've been in the lottery. Seventy-seven years. Yeah,
8: I know that, Mr. Warner, but But you don't can't... butt
6: me. No, sir, don't butt me. I know what's right about the lottery. It ought to be chips of wood. One chip with the name of every family all in the big black box. Well,
8: we can't do it that way, Grandsire. You know that. The box ain't big enough. <laughs> That's
6: the way it was when I was a boy. Chips of wood. None of this here bitty pieces of paper. Paper, huh? What kind of a lottery you expect to have with paper? Well,
8: there's too many folks in the village for wood anymore. Uh,
6: nobody pays any mind to the old ways. There ought to be marching, too. I, I remember marching and, and somebody sort of, of chanting like. That's what there ought to be on lottery uh, day.
8: That was a long time ago. Nobody remembers that anymore. That's
6: yeah, the trouble. Nobody remembers. Now you take that black uh, box. It's cracking.
8: It... We ought to make a new one. A uh, new no
6: one? Listen to him. A new box. Why, they used that box in my father's time for the lottery. And he told me it's made from the pieces of the box in his grandfather's time. Now, you're supposed to be in charge of that box. Why, well, I saw it year before last lying in Graves Barn. And this year, it sat right on the shelf in your store. Now, is that any way to take care of that box? They don't run the lottery the way they used to. Hey, I've been in it 77 years, and I ought to know. <laughs>
5: Tessie.
4: Tessie, come here. What? Oh, excuse me, Miss Delacroix. Mm, All right, Tessie. Tessie. Now, what is it, Bill? Where's Davy? Playing with the other children there by the stones. Get him over here. Why?
5: We're hitching up and getting out.
4: We've got to wait for the drawing. We can't go now. I
5: said we're going now. Oh,
4: Bill, don't be silly. First place, we came all the way into the village for the lottery second place summers won't be open till after and i want to get those patterns well, after
5: d- don't you understand
4: suppose suppose bill i'm surprised at you why nobody else acts this way you you've just got to take it as it comes you're a farmer you know that
5: what's that got to do with it
4: well you didn't take on when the hog died of cholera before killing time you just went on but that's
5: different it just happened you can't help it if something don't
3: go no
4: i won't neither will you I don't get into the village often, and lottery day is one time I can see all the other women and talk. I'm not going back till it's all over supper time. <laughs> My goodness, Bill, you'd think it was something unusual. Lottery comes every
3: year. It always has. <laughs>
7: The lottery was conducted as were the square dances, the teenage club, and the Halloween program by Mr. Summers, who had time and energy to devote to civic affairs. He was a round-faced, jovial man, and the people were sorry for him, because he had no children, and his wife was a scold. He was busy in the middle of the square with a little black box, setting it up and balancing it on a three-legged stool.
8: Uh, one of you folks want to give me a hand with the box, Mister uh, Martin? All right, boy. Uh, just hold it on the corner, steady. Watch eh?
3: his hands, Summer. <laughs> <laughs>
8: now we're going to do this fair and square, just like always. Now, uh,
6: last night up the coal company office, Mister Graves and I made up the slips of paper. There ought to be chips of wood. What kind of fiddling lottery can you have
4: with? Now, grandson, don't you interrupt, Mister Summer. There's a box
8: here. Anybody wants to can haul them out and check them over. Time now for the swearing in. Mr. Graves will administer the oath to me. I expect, as usual, we'll waive elections. Didn't
6: used to be no election. Used to pass from father to son.
3: All right, all right
6: you, Floyd Summers, solemnly swear to carry out the duties of this lottery without fear or favor of prejudice, bias, or any other
8: untoward acts of omission or commission, so help you? I do. You him, Floyd!
3: <laughs> <laughs> well,
8: I expect now we're ready. We'll proceed as usual, drawn by families according to the rules. Wait a minute. Huh?
4: Yeah. Wait a minute, Floyd Summers. <laughs> oh, looks like another <laughs> interruption.
8: Oh, morning, Mrs. Martin.
4: How do you like that? Clean forgot what day it was. Hello, Tess. Good morning. morning. How oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. thought my old man was out back stacking wood. Then I out the window and the kitten was gone, and I remembered it was the twenty seventh and came a running. Did I miss anything?
3: Oh, you're
8: in time. They're
4: still talking away up
8: there. It was just beginning, Mrs. Martin. Now you just take your place with your family. Hand's still wet from the dishwater. Uh, well, now I guess we better get started. Yeah. Let's get this over with so as he can get back to work. Yeah. Uh, ain't anybody here? Huh? Well, now let's this ain't the drawing, just checking the list. Yeah. Now, uh, Adam Adam. Yeah, Adam. Well, I'm glad to see it i miss you last Saturday. I
4: guess you made it after all, huh, Miss Martin? Well, now, Tessie, between you and me, I knew it was lottery day, but you wouldn't have me leave the dishes in the sink now, would
3: you?
6: Dunbar. <laughs>
4: Dunbar. Dunbar. Dunbar, come on. Gun. Gun
8: bar. Hold Royce for Dunbar. Clyde broke his leg, didn't he? Now who's drawing for? Well, him? I
4: guess I draw. Oh, that's right.
8: That's the rule. Wife draws for husband. Except and you got a grown boy to do it for you, haven't you, Janet? Well, Horace is not but sixteen yet. Guess I gotta fill in for the old man this year. All right, I got that check. Watson boy drawing this year? Yeah. Oh, there you are, Charlie. Good to see your mother's got a man to do it.
6: I suppose old man Warner's here. Hey, you know darn well I'm here, Floyd Summers. I was just talking to you. I ain't missed the lottery in 77 years. <laughs> All
8: right, I was just joking. <laughs>
6: well, that gets the list straight. All the rest is straight family. Right. Unless
8: anybody's got anything to add, we're ready for the drawing. The get now get then, on.
3: Adams. Adams. Adam, yeah, Adam. Adams. 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 I right, see. Just draw any one. Don't look at it till after.
8: Next, Adamson. Adamson. Right, that does it.
4: Anderson. Anderson. Oh, seems like they changed the order, drawn, don't it, Tessie? Oh, no. That's the way it's always been. Seems like there's just no time at all between lotteries anymore. No. Seems like we got through with the last one only last week. Yeah. I declare the way time flies. Time sure goes fast. Delacroix. Delacroix. There goes my old man. Now, don't worry, Agnes.
8: Dunbar.
4: Dunbar.
8: Is <laughs> well, that you, Janie? <laughs> well,
4: You ladies will excuse me. Come on, Janie, you're holding us up. There she goes. I'm coming. Well, folks shouldn't hold up the lottery. It takes up a perfectly good morning as it is. Well, last year, it didn't get time for half the things I meant to do in town. You're right, Tessie. My old man says he don't like lottery day, because I always run the bill up at summer sky high. Gunderson!
8: (laughs) John Gunderson!
4: Oh, there goes the schoolmaster.
7: I'm not going to draw, Mr. Summers. he does got draw. Now, John, you know the rules. This
8: is your second year in the village. I know. But
7: I'm not going to draw.
8: Now, don't be contrary, boy. Everybody draws in the lottery. What makes you better,
3: schoolmaster?
6: I don't believe in it.
3: Now,
8: that isn't the point, John, and you know it. Listen to him. He do not believe in
6: the lottery. You hear that? Now take it easy, Well, we've always had the lottery. Everybody knows that. Always have and always will. Over in the North Philly, they're talking of giving up the lottery. A pack of crazy fools in North Village. Listen to this idiot. Nothing's good enough for him. Next thing you know, they'll be wanting to go back to living in caves. Nobody work anymore. Live like that for a while. They don't have the lottery up where I come from. Stopped it years ago. Maybe so, but we ain't fools. Not here. Used to be a saying. Lottery in June? Corn will grow soon. Yeah. Now, you listen to him with his books and cipher, and first thing you know, we'll all be eating stewed chickweed and acorns. You're yeah. right, yeah, sure. There's always right. been a lottery. Bad enough, it ain't what it used to be with Floyd Summers up there joking and all, yeah. but there's always been a lottery. But why? Why? I tell you, they stopped it up north. More villages every year. And the corn grows just as high. Ah, nothing but trouble in that. Pack of
3: fools. Now you ain't no
8: farmer, Gunderson. Old man won his right. Yes, sir. Lottery in June, corn will grow soon. That's the way it's always been. Yeah, you sure can't is. get around that, schoolmaster. Lottery in June... But
6: nobody knows you've never tried. You just go on and on every year the same and way. we are darn And we're going right on just like we always done. What call is a young outsider to talk that way on Lottery Day? That's what I'd like now to know. Raw, 77 years I've been Texas coming to see the But, there's no reason for it. No reason. Year after year for generations
7: on June 27th. If you'd only think. If you'd only try. If you were willing to use reason instead of blind obedience to a crazy outworn tradition. Well, that'll
8: be about enough, John. You spoke your piece. Now we better get down to business. Yeah. Rules say if anybody balks, the committee draws for him. Now, is that right, folks? Hey, certainly That's right. Yes, sir. Now, I'm going to call you again, regular and proper. If you stand mute, we'll go right on and draw for you. Now, which is it? All right. All right, I'll draw. Fine. Fine.
4: Now, let's get
8: on. Hutchinson?
3: Yes.
4: Bill Hutchinson? Get on up there, Bill. There goes your man, Tessa. <laughs> Imagine the schoolmaster making such a fuss. He's no better than the rest if everybody draws on
3: lottery day.
8: All right, sir, now the last one. Warner. Uh,
6: yes, sir. I'm right here. All right, then, sir.
8: Take it easy. It's no rush. Uh,
6: this makes the 77th year I've been in the lottery. Yes, sir. 77 times. Uh, uh, draw your slip now. Yeah. All right. It's
8: all done. Martin, close the box. Yeah. <laughs> Who's
4: got it? What family? I ain't, I ain't got it. Grandpa, let me see your paper. You me see let go
6: your... of my hand, you hear? I can take care of myself. Ma,
4: Ma, is it us? Is it us, Ma? Well, for goodness sake, what family is it? Who's got all it? All right, all right, all right, folks. Now, let's do this
8: orderly. Now, no, come on. Now, what family's got the black slip?
4: It's Hutchinson's. There. Look, Bill Hutchinson's got it.
3: Hutchinson. yeah, that's right. Yeah. Haggy,
4: Haggy, you run and tell your father it's the Hutchinsons. Go on, run. It isn't
3: fair. It isn't fair. Like,
4: Summers, I saw you, you didn't give him time to take any slip he wanted. I saw you, it wasn't fair. Now, nah, Tessie, be a good sport. All of us took the same chance. It isn't fair, I tell you, it isn't fair. Shut
3: up,
8: Tessie. Well, now, everybody, that was done pretty fast. Just one hour or two minutes. Now, we've got to be hurrying a little more to get done before noon. It wasn't fair. Now, Bill, uh, let's see. Uh, you draw for the Hutchinson family, don't you? You got any other households in the Hutchinson? Yeah, there's Don
4: and Eva. Make them take their chance. Make them draw. Now,
8: Tessie, Eva's your daughter, but she's married now. Daughters draw with her husband's families. You know that as well as anyone else. Oh, oh sure. It wasn't fair. I guess that's it, Joe. My
5: daughter draws with her husband's family. That's only fair.
8: Oh, no. Well, now, Bill.
5: I guess there's just us, Floyd. Davy, Tessie, and me.
8: All right, now. Then as far as drawing for families is concerned is you. And as far as drawing for households is concerned, that's you, too.
5: Yes, that's
4: right.
8: Martin, you give me the tickets for the Hutchinsons, all three of them. You got their tickets back? I got them. They're in the box, Lloyd. All set, then.
4: I I think we ought to start over.
8: Now, Tessie... I you it wasn't
4: fair. You didn't give him time enough to choose. Everybody's all
3: there. Now, we'll have to get
8: on now. Are you ready, listen, Bear? Listen, everybody, listen. You got a list.
3: You can see, I'm Ready, that.
8: Baby, Bear ready. ready. Baby pick first, then you, then Tessie. Now, you got that? Here, help little Dave. Davey, come here.
3: Sure, It wasn't fair. Miss Delacroix, you can see they didn't give him
8: time. Now, don't make a fuss, Tessie. It ain't fitting. All right now, Bill. You take the slips and keep them folded till everybody picks. Come on, Davey. Go on, son. Now, Davey, I, I want you to pick a piece of paper out of this box and hold tight. You understand?
3: Sure, Mr. Summers.
8: All right. Pick now. <laughs> just, just one paper, Davey. I got one. Good. Now, you better hold it for him, Martin. All set. All right, Bill. One paper. That's right. Now, Tessie.
3: No, no it wasn't fair. Tessie, you've got to draw.
8: Come on, Tessie. All
4: right. All right. I hope it ain't the child. Don't yeah, it's seem not right.
6: the like way it used to be. I tell you, it ought to be chips of wood. Lottery ain't like it used to be. People ain't the way they used to be. Oh, All right. Quiet.
8: Quiet now, folks. Now, let's open the papers. Davy? Come on, Davy. Open your paper. There's nothing on it. Well. Bill? Mine's blank. Then I guess it's Tessie.
3: Oh, no. No! Show us
8: her paper, Bill, just for the rules. Tessie,
3: open your oh, hand. No. No. Come on, now. Open your no, hands. Oh, no. There, yeah, no. Tessie, all right. Mom, I'm going over the pile of stones, all right? All right, folks. Let's finish quickly oh, now. Bill, no, no, It isn't fair. Oh, Bill. Bill, no, Bill. It's too late, Tessie. There's nothing no. I can Come do. Come on, Miss
4: Delacroix. we better get a good stone before they all go. Oh, Dickie will save one for me. Well, hurry up.
3: She'll be running it soon. It wasn't fair. There wasn't time. Oh, Bill. Bill, please, Bill.
5: You heard him, Tessie. Lottery oh, no. in June. Corn oh, no. will grow soon. It, it isn't
3: Ma, here's a stone for you. Come
4: on. Oh, that's a nice boy, Dickie. What a nice big stone. Uh, you'll have to go ahead and I'll catch up with you. Can't run at all with arthritis in my knees. All right. There's Davy. Davy, Davy, come here. Yes, ma'am. Now here's a little stone for you. Take it. Sure. Now, you come along with me, Davey. Sure, I want, Mr. Flint. We've got to run after Ma now, huh? That's right, Davy. Come fair. on.
3: Listen, everybody. They didn't give me time. It wasn't fair. Not everybody. Hang help me. Come on,
4: Davy. Throw your stones. Go on.
3: Throw your stone. It isn't fair. It isn't right. Oh, Bill. Bill, you can't let them. Not me. It can't be me. Oh, it wasn't fair. They can't do it to me. Agnes, Emily, you can't. You can't really, not me. Go on, Davy. Now throw your stones. Oh, no, nowhere. no, not the stones. No, it isn't right. Oh, Davy, Davey, my own baby. No! No! Ah!
7: The was hot on the square. And the men stood around the blacksmith shop smoking and talking about planting and tractors and taxes. And the women gathered in summers and bought yard goods and patterns and notions. The little children played in the dust, throwing pebbles at each other. The lottery was over for this year. Lottery in June. Corn will grow soon. Next year. Next June 27th. Well, maybe we'll learn. Maybe there'll be no lottery. Maybe we'll begin to reason, to find the truth. Maybe we'll find out we don't have to pick out folks in a lottery just because our fathers and their fathers did it, because it always was that way. Maybe next year there won't be a lottery. It's up to all of us. Chances are there will be, though.
2: You have heard The Lottery by Shirley Jackson, whose novel The Hangsman will be published soon. The adaptation was by Ernest Canoy of NBC. In tonight's cast, Mrs. Summers was Louise Lorimer. Summers was Charles Field. Mrs. Delacroix was Gail Bonney. Dickie was Johnny McGovern. Hutchinson was Jeff Corey. Davy was Jeffrey Silver. Warner was Stephen Chase. Mrs. Dunbar was Irene Tedrow. The schoolmaster was Jim Nusser. Tessie was Margaret Brayton. Graves was Jack Nessel. The folk music was by Morris King. Your announcer, Don Stanley. The director of NBC Presents Short Story is Andrew C. Love. Be with us again two weeks from tonight as NBC Presents Short Story. On that occasion, a powerful story of machine politics and corruptible men. Shadow of Evil by James Aswell. Hear it two weeks from tonight. And in the meantime, bear in mind this message from the United States Marine Corps. United States Marine Corps training is training for leadership and training for life. If you were to examine the biographies of many of America's most successful and prominent businessmen, statesmen, and athletes, you would find that they received their basic leadership training in the Marine Corps. The ability to think quickly and precisely developed by these men as Marines now stands them in good stead as civilians. One of the first things a Marine learns is how to take care of himself. As a result, self-sufficiency becomes one of his most prominent characteristics. And in learning to care for himself, he also learns to care for his comrades and to direct their activities intelligently. In short, he learns how to lead. The young man who today is considering the various services may well give serious thought to this important aspect to Marine Corps training. No matter how he plans to earn his living in later years, Marine Corps training is leadership training and will help him to succeed. This program came to you from Hollywood. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company.
1: Talk about a surprise ending. When I first heard this radio play, I was in awe. I really hope you enjoyed this because I was ecstatic when I came across this a few months ago. Now, our second program is entitled Mystery Theater. And this short-lived gem premiered in 1966 and ended in 1968. And it was written, adapted, and produced by the CBC, which is the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. And all the episodes were performed in various CBC production centers Halifax, Montreal, Winnipeg, and Vancouver. The radio play tonight is called The Hitchhiker, not to be confused with Orson Welles' Hitchhiker. This premiered in May of 1967. I first heard this story almost over 30 years ago when I was in college and fell in love with it and was extremely thrilled when I found it a few months ago when I was researching different radio programs I wanted to feature on this platform so you know the drill sit back turn down the lights and listen to The Hitchhiker.
0: Now is the time to tell of the unaccountable, of apparitions by night and phantoms in shadow. Time to tell strange tales of fantasy and the supernatural. Mystery theater presents the Hitchhiker by Alan King. The stretch
9: of road between Bainville and Bowden is about 15 miles. I used to drive over it about once a month by Alan King. The stretch of road between Bainville and Bowden is about 15 miles. I used to drive over it about once a month with George Kirby. George was supervisor for the J.K. Landon Land Company, and we used to make a monthly inspection trip over his territory. We usually worked it so that we ran into Bowden at night. It isn't a big town, but there's a good hotel there, and we could always make it back to our hometown before dark the next day. We would take turns driving. When George was driving, sometimes I'd sit with him. If I was pretty tired, maybe I'd move into the back seat and sleep for a while. This particular night, about six months ago, he was driving and I was sitting in the front. It was a poor sort of night. It had been raining and there were patches of mist that came at you when you least expected them. I'd been telling George what a farmer I'd met. Oh, this will kill you. The guy looks me right in the eye and says, Boy, you won't sell me one of those things. I invented one myself ten years ago. <laughs> Did you see it work? Sure, he showed me. You should have heard the noise. Sounded more like a young threshing machine.
10: <laughs>
3: you got to hand it to
9: those farmers. You know, those guys can
10: make anything and fix anything. Well, I remember one once in Indiana someplace. George, had, look out.
9: There's someone in the... Where? Oh! Be underneath. I hit him, I know that. Yeah,
6: he's underneath.
9: Looks like he's wedged under the
6: cases.
9: Well, is he alive?
1: Are you? Are you hurt badly? Can, can you move? Must be knocked out. Wait, I see.
9: His legs are clear. I
1: think we can get him out.
10: forward when I tell you.
9: Okay, George.
10: But easy, sir. Go very, very
9: slow. We got him out. I'm not sure if he was alive. His face was all mucked up with gravel and oil. But he was dead when we got to Bowdoin. We talked to the police. There was an inquest later. George wasn't held. It was an accident. George Kirby and I went about our business.
10: I'm uh, Larry Mason. I'm a salesman. I drive that stretch of road between Bainville and Bowdoin once a week. In one place you come to a curve where there's a sort of ravine on one side and quite a drop on the other. It's not dangerous. There's a good strong guardrail, clearly marked. The locals just call it the Gap. This night, oh, a few weeks ago, I was driving alone, just coming to the Gap, when I saw somebody ahead of me at the side of the road. It was a man giving me the thumb. I pulled up and opened the door. On a lift? Thank you. Come on in. Going down to Bowdoin? Yes. Be there in ten minutes. I uh, don't often see anybody around here at night. A cigarette? No. I think I'll have one. Don't blow that light out. eh? Huh? Hold it there a moment. Well, what's the matter? Why are you looking at me like that? It's all right. You can put it out now. Well... Thanks. What is your name? Larry Mason. Why? Uh, You're not the man. I'm not what man? I'll know him when I see him. Who who is this man? Uh, What do you want him for? He killed someone. Killed someone? It was here. On this road. He ran him down and... Oh, an accident. He said he wasn't to blame, but he was driving the car. The man was just standing there, hitching a ride, just as I hitched a ride with you. Well, maybe it was foggy or something. A driver should be careful in a mist. Look, uh, I suppose you find this guy. uh, What are you going to do? Kill him. Oh, wait a minute. You, you can't go around killing people like that. They, they said it wasn't his fault, didn't they? Yes, but I know better. I will find him. I didn't like it. I was sure the guy was batty. Anyway, he didn't say any more then. He seemed to shrink back in his seat almost as if he wasn't there. I stepped on it. The sooner I got to Bowdoin, the better I'd like it. Just as we were pulling up, I spoke to him again. Look, about this guy you say you're looking for, yes. you're not really going to kill him, are you? Yes, I am. But why? Because he killed me. What? I'm the man he ran over in his car and killed. Whether the door on his side opened or not, I haven't any idea. But I do know that suddenly he was gone. I just sat there. I lit a cigarette and kept telling myself the guy hadn't been in the car. He hadn't talked to me. And all the time I knew I... I didn't know what I knew. I threw the cigarette away and went in for a coffee. Biddy Kirk was behind the counter with the usual grin all over her fat face.
11: Hiya, Larry. Hi, Biddy. Coffee? Yeah. And what else? We got some nice... Hey, what's the matter with you? You look like you want something stronger than coffee.
10: Oh, uh, coffee will do. Nothing to eat. Hey, are
11: you sick
10: or something? No, I'm not sick.
11: Okay. Here you are. Here's your coffee. Thanks. Look, are you sure you're okay? You don't look very good.
10: I'm okay. Say, uh, Biddy. Yeah? Do you remember about... Oh, I guess it must have been a few months ago. There was, there was a... Bat- hey,
11: Biddy! Chuck!
10: Larry! Hi. How's the coffee tonight, Pitty?
11: Strong enough for
10: you. Swell.
11: Coming up. Anything to
10: eat? I don't know. I'll drink the coffee first.
11: Okay. Here. Well, call me if you want something. Got to get back in the kitchen and get some sandwiches, made.
10: You just drive in from Bainville? Yeah. Why? Well, I I just wondered. What's on your mind? It was a big order or something? No, I... Well, I, I gave a guy a lift down here. So what? So did I. Do it all the time. What's new about that? There's something funny about the guy. I picked him up just to the other side of the gap. Gave me the creeps. Wait a minute.
9: What'd this guy look like?
10: Oh, uh... Pale sort of hair. Dead-looking. Grayish sort of face. Yeah? Go on. He, uh... He talked about an accident. I lit a cigarette and he... He sort of peered into my face when I struck the match. And then he said... I wasn't the guy he was looking for, or something like that. Where did you drop him? I brought him right into Bowdoin. Stopped the car and... He was gone, just like that. Larry, I picked up that guy myself. Just the other side of the gap. I shouted at him, it wasn't the same man. He was kidding me, it, it wasn't possible. It, but... The description tallied... The only difference was he'd only ridden a couple of miles with Chuck and hadn't said anything about the accident. Accident? What accident? I'll tell you in a minute. First of all, when I'd brought him into Bowdoin, how did he get back to the other side of the gap in time for you to pick him up? You were right behind me. He couldn't. Not unless he's got a twin brother. Or unless he's a ghost who likes hitching rides. Yeah. That's about the only explanation. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what is this? You're trying to tell me you believe. Uh, just in... a minute, chum. Biddy? Yeah? Getting
11: hungry out there?
10: Can you come out a minute? Sure.
11: Now, what'll it be? Gonna be right?
10: Biddy, uh, I want you to tell me something. Can you remember an accident between here and Bainville?
11: Oh, I can remember plenty of them.
10: Oh, yes, I know, but this one. Well, I, I, I don't know the name of the man who was driving. I don't even know when it was, but he hit a hitchhiker.
11: A hitchhiker?
10: Can you remember it, Biddy?
11: Sure, yeah. Yeah, that was George Kirby. He was driving not very long ago. And Sam Henderson was with him. Yeah, they have the inquest up in Bainville. Yeah. It was a misty night, I remember. George said of the inquest he couldn't see very well, and he hit this guy before he even saw him.
10: Who was the guy he hit? Do you know?
11: Oh, he lived up by the gap I know, I didn't really know him and seen him in here a couple of times He was a writer or something so What's all this about?
10: Well, what did he look like?
11: Pale sort of guy looked like he needed a good meal Kind of mousy colored hair
10: That sounds like... What the... sort of a voice had he?
11: Oh, I don't remember Yeah, kind of quiet and slow, I think
10: That's what I wanted to know Okay, thanks, Betty.
11: Anything to oblige. I guess I'll go back to my sandwiches.
10: Give me a shirt when you're hungry. Okay. Come on, Larry. What is all this? Chuck, the guy you and I picked up is the guy George Kirby ran over and killed. Are you out of your mind, Larry? He's dead. Dead or not, the guy I picked up looked right into my face and said he was after the guy who ran him down and killed him. And uh, when... you're making this up... And when he found this man, he was going to kill him. I don't know how long we sat there arguing it out. In the end, we didn't know whether we were sane or crazy. We had all the facts. They'd only fit into one pattern. And that pattern was impossible. In the end, we did come to one conclusion... It seems to me whatever way you look at it, this George Kirby may be in danger. Yeah, but from what? Or from whom? Somebody's threatening him. Or trying to scare him. Somebody pretending to be a ghost. It must be two people pretending to be a ghost. There's one thing certain. The man you picked up tonight can't be the same man I picked up. It's not physically possible. Chuck, I don't believe in ghosts any more than you do. But what happened tonight can't be explained. Can, it must be. Well... Maybe these two men we picked up were twins, triplets. The third one was the guy who was killed. Well, That's fantastic. Is that ghost any less fantastic? No, but. Well, anyway, we gotta warn this guy Kirby that someone's after him. We don't even know him. Oh, we can leave a message with Biddy. Uh, give her a shout. I want something to eat anyway. Oh, Biddy, uh, how about a sandwich? Ah,
11: getting hungry now, eh?
10: Yeah. Uh, give me a corned beef and rye and a dill, and uh, another cup of coffee.
11: And how about you, Larry? Oh,
10: that'll do for me too, I guess. And, uh, Biddy? Yeah? Will you be seeing this, uh, George Kirby sometime?
11: I guess so. He comes in pretty regular.
10: Could you give him a message?
11: Sure, sure. What is it?
10: Well, just tell him that... Well, we found out that somebody's threatening him, see?
11: Threatening him? Who is?
10: Well, we, uh, we don't quite know. Tell him not to pick up anybody between here and Bainville. I don't get it. It's all right, Biddy. He's in danger. And we don't know him, so the only thing we can do is leave the message with you.
11: Well, I'll tell him. But he'll probably laugh in my face.
10: Well, maybe he will. But tell him anyway,
12: see? What's the matter with you, Biddy? Something on your mind?
11: Yeah, I... I got a message for you, George. Message? (laughs) Too bad you weren't in a week ago. The guys could have told you themselves. What guys? Oh, Larry Mason and Chuck Reynolds. Never heard of them. Well, they left this message anyways. Said to tell you somebody's threatening you. Threatening me? Yeah. And to not pick anybody up between here and Bainville.
10: (laughs) What, is this a gag?
11: Well, I don't know. I tell you, George, I don't know what it's all about.
10: Well, who was threatening me?
11: Well, I didn't hear much because I was back in the kitchen. But they did ask me about that accident. You had asked a lot of questions well, about
10: it. Well, it was an accident. They said so at the inquest. Yeah,
11: yeah George, I know that.
10: Nobody's got any right to rake that up and threaten me.
11: Sure, George. It wasn't your fault. We know It wasn't, you but... hear? It
10: wasn't my fault. Who's this? This Larry
12: Mason and, and Chuck, whatever his name is anyway. I don't know. Then what right have they got to now, come around? Now, don't
11: get excited. They wasn't threatening you. They said somebody else was. Yeah?
12: Well, I'll bet they're trying to put a scare into me or something. Well, you can tell them from me. They can keep their trap shut or there'll be trouble. Mm.
10: The next time I saw Biddy, I heard how George Kirby had taken the warning. That's what you get for trying to help somebody. Anyway, I'd done what I could. And as the days went by, I began to feel as though I'd dreamed the whole thing. It was all too fantastic. Then one day I met George Kirby face to face. I'd gone to Indianapolis for a sales meeting. I was sitting in the hotel lobby after dinner. And a big man came up to me, looking full of fight. Are you Larry Mason? Yes. I'm George Kirby. I want to talk to you. George Kirby? Yeah. I just want to tell you, I don't like being threatened. Now, look, I wasn't... I got your message. I don't like that sort of thing. Don't be a fool. I'm not threatening you. Sounds like it to me. Listen. I picked up a guy between Bainville and Bowden. He looked me over carefully, asked my name and then said I wasn't the guy he was looking for. But then he said he was looking for the man who killed somebody in an accident on that road not long before. Go on. He said when he found that man, he was going to kill him. Is that all? I I figured he was a kind of a nut. He tried to make out he was the man who was killed. I'm supposed to believe all this? I don't care whether you believe it or not. But I'll tell you this. That same night, a friend of mine picked up the same man. And we both talked it over and decided the least we could do was to warn you. Thanks. Well, we figured maybe the man you killed had a a brother who maybe thought you'd got off easy. David Quinn hasn't any brothers. I found that out. Well, anyway, that's what happened. Now you know about it, you can do what you like. (laughs) way he treated me, I didn't care what happened to George Kirby. But whether I cared or not, I was to be there when it did happen. And because I was there, I found myself giving evidence before a coroner's jury. A jury inquiring into the death of George Kirby.
13: Now, Mr. Mason, will you tell us what you saw on the night in question?
10: Well, I was driving from Bainville to Bowdoin. I I guess I left Bainville about 11 p.m.,
13: did you see the Kirby car?
10: Well, there was a car ahead of me. I, I could see its taillights. But I didn't know then whose it was. Yes, go on. As a matter of fact, it passed me. I could see it for a while, and then it went around a curve, and I lost sight of it.
13: But when did you see it again?
10: A few minutes later. I came around a curve myself, and there was this car picking up a hitchhiker. Before I caught up to it, it was on its way again.
13: You're certain that someone got into the car?
10: Yes, yes, quite, sir.
13: In fact, you will swear to it.
10: Well, I... Yes, I will.
13: Is... Is there some doubt in your mind?
10: No. No, someone did get into that car.
13: I see. And then what happened?
10: It, uh... It drew ahead of me again. Then I came to the place on the road they call The Gap. And there was a car piled up against a rock on the south side.
13: The car you've been telling us about? Yes. When you say it was piled up against a rock... Is there not a sort of cliff at that point with guardrails protecting motorists?
10: Yes, although there are a couple of places where there are big rocks.
13: You mean the guardrail runs a certain distance and then there is a rock and then the guardrail continues past
10: it? That's right.
13: And this car was piled up against one of these rocks? Yes. What did you do?
10: Well, I stopped and ran over to the car. It must have turned over at least once. The top was all smashed in and so was the front. Kirby was behind the wheel. He seemed to be crushed, and there was another man in the back who didn't seem too badly hurt.
13: That was Samuel Henderson?
10: Yes, I I got him out of the car. Then I tried to get at Kirby, but I couldn't move him. So uh, all I could do was watch for a car passing, which I did. I flagged it and sent Henderson down to Bowdoin for the police and some kind of a tow truck.
13: And you waited there until they came? Yes. Was there anyone in the front passenger seat of the Kirby car? No. Are you quite certain? Quite certain, then there couldn't have been. Why do you say that? Because the
10: front was so badly crushed, he would still have been there.
13: But you told us a moment ago that you saw the Kirby car stop and pick up a hitchhiker. Do you still say that? Yes. Then how do you account for the fact that there was no one else in the car when you found it?
10: I can't account for it. Maybe he was in the back seat and got out before I arrived.
13: Perhaps. We shall see about that. I may wish to examine you further on this point. You may step down now. Mr. Henderson, you were riding with George Kirby on this trip? <clears throat> yes, sir. Will you tell us what happened
9: after you left Bainville? Well, I was dozing in the back seat. We take turns driving. I was asleep, I guess, till, till something woke me up. What was that? The car stopping. I sort of opened my eyes and saw George lean over and open the other front door and a man got in. No doubt about that? None at all. I didn't see him very clearly. I... I didn't really want to wake up. I I was tired. Did you, in fact, stay awake? More or less. George was talking to this hitchhiker, but the man said almost nothing. That is, until just before the accident.
13: What did he say then?
9: He said, uh, you are George Kirby. And George said yes. Then the man said, you killed David Quinn.
13: That woke me up. David Quinn was the man Kirby had killed in an
9: accident some months before? That's right, sir. I was startled. I was startled. George looked at him and said, so what? Then the man said, I have been waiting for you. George started to say something, and then suddenly the man said, look out, there's something. There's someone ahead. And he seemed to reach over and grab the wheel. The car swerved, and we crashed. I don't remember much else till Mr. Mason pulled me out.
13: Mr. Henderson, you realize that all you have told us is on oath. I realize that. It's true, every word of it. Was there any person sitting beside George Kirby in the front seat when you recovered consciousness? No. Yet you insist that there was someone there till the moment of the crash. I do. I have said that on my oath, and it's true.
9: How do you account for the fact that there was no one there afterwards? I can't account for it. I only know that's how it was.
13: Very well. You may step down, but do not leave the court. You are a trooper with state police?
12: Yes, sir, I am.
13: I understand you were called to the scene of the accident in question between 11 and 12 at night. Yes, sir. What did you find on arrival?
12: I found the Kirby car piled against a rock on the south side of the road. It had hit the guardrail and bounced off it and then turned over. Mr. Mason was waiting for me. I found George Kirby pinned behind the steering wheel, apparently unconscious. I had brought up a truck from the police garage and we had to use tools to get the door off on the driver's side so we could get Kirby out.
13: How badly was he
12: injured? He was dead when we got him out. What did you do then? I took a statement from Mason, and then I went back and examined the marks of the car on the road. I saw that it had apparently swerved right over to the guardrail.
13: How do you come to that conclusion?
12: Uh, By the skid marks. Kirby must have applied the brakes, and they left marks. Did you examine carefully the front of the car and the roof? Yes, sir. The whole front and top had been smashed. In your opinion,
13: if anyone had been riding in the front passenger seat, could he have gotten out? He could not. I will swear to that. You have heard the evidence of Mr. Mason and Mr. Henderson to the effect that Kirby did pick up a passenger.
12: Yes, sir. All I can say is he must have got out before the crash. But Mr. Henderson says he did not. I don't know about that, but I will swear that no person was in that front seat at the time of the crash. It couldn't be.
10: They had Henderson and me back on the stand, and they made monkeys out of us. It wasn't so bad for me. The hitchhiker could have got out of that car without my seeing him. But Henderson wouldn't budge an inch from his story. Uh, in the end, we both slunk out of the inquest with everyone convinced we'd both committed perjury. Henderson took me over to the hotel to have a drink in his room. I sure needed it.
9: Who was he, Mason? Who was he? You know, don't you? Yes. Yes, I know, and yet... And yet it couldn't have been.
10: You imagined it. And I imagined I gave him a lift three or four weeks back. I imagined he said he was going to kill George Kirby. And Chuck Reynolds imagined he gave him a lift, too. I imagined him. And I'll never forget him. Neither will I. Neither will I, because Oh, don't say it, Henderson. After all, we don't believe in ghosts, do we?
9: I believe in what I see, Mason.
10: Then you didn't see anything. Mind if I help myself? I need it.
9: please go ahead. Thanks. There's just one other thing I didn't tell them at the inquest. What was that? Where the hitchhiker grabbed the wheel and swerved the car. Well? It was precisely at the spot where David Quinn was killed.
0: The Hitchhiker, by Alan King, was item three in a four-part series of Tales of the Supernatural, written for and presented by the Mystery Theater, with John Vernon as Sam Henderson, Cease Linder as George Kirby, Frank Perry as Larry Mason, and Hugh Watson as Old Quinn. Beth Lockerbie was heard as Biddy, Tom Harvey as Chuck, Jack Creeley as the coroner, and Alan DeRamus as the state trooper. Sound effects were by Alex Sheridan. Technical operation by John Skillen. This is Bill Lorne speaking.
1: That's our show for this evening. I want to thank you all for listening. And again, I want to thank the composer, Mayu, for allowing me to use his creations as my new background music. And remember, you can find me on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Terror1970 or you can find me on Instagram at Radio Show Nerd or on Twitter at Radio Show Nerd 1 Again this is your host, Keith aka The Radio Show Nerd signing off.